Thank you, Andy. Uh, I didn't anticipate this, but I'm super honored that I get to do this, which is to, as a local pastor of this community, introduce you to tonight's speaker. And, um, you know, uh, many of you come from great cities with great churches, with great pastors, and pastors of kind of large influence and uh, really big platforms. And you come to this valley, a lot of you, to enjoy it and to ski. Uh, but there's this community here called the Local Valley that some people live here year-round and certain people pastor here year-round. And it could be one of the most difficult places I think I understand and know to, to pastor and to serve. And uh, those who serve in contexts like this know that. That said, um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the Vale Valley before I introduce your speaker who has been here much longer than me and has become probably one of the most important kind of pillars of the Christian faith in this community. Um, in the Vale Valley, I, I like to tell my church, we probably have more dogs than we do Christians. And the dogs oftentimes get treated better. Um, we call Vale Valley Happy Valley, and those of you who come out and enjoy it, it's only happy for, for, for a, a kind of a thin mountain run, right? It's happy on the mountain. But those who live here know that uh, the suicide rate's um, the all-time high in, in this county, in the, in the state of Colorado. Is that right, Ethan? One of the highest counties in the country. The, counties in the, country, the suicide rate. Uh, there's a lot that goes on in, in Happy Valley that uh, people don't quite know. And so your speaker tonight, I've been waiting for him to actually speak here at High Ground. He's been serving you as High Ground people for many, many years, opening up his church, allowing you to use his facilities, uh, he's oftentimes here late at night shutting down the doors. I mean, it's just a typical kind of smaller community church kind of pastor, which we do. He could go preach at a big church. He could go lead a big church, um, but he chooses to be here, and he's invested in this community for a long, long time. And uh, I just want you to know you're about to hear from somebody who has deep, deep roots in the Vale Valley who's doing a great work on a number of levels uh, to minister and bring the kingdom of God to the people who don't just show up to ski, they live here, they work here, uh, they have no means here. And so, anyhow, with that said, my colleague, Pastor Ethan Moore, the pastor of Trinity Baptist. Would you welcome him up? So, get my props set here. Gentlemen, it's great to be here with you. It is always a privilege to have you all here. I mean that. Um, I really, really enjoy it. So when I was a kid, thinking in high school, I'm a tall, lanky, skinny kid. Add another inch from which I've shrunk, take about 60 pounds off off of me. I love to come home from school and sit down in a chair and put my feet up on the table and lean back like this. And I'd be doing this, just hanging out, eating half of the food that I scrounged from the fridge. My mom would walk into the room what does she say to me? Get, get, your, get the chair flat on the floor. And so then I would be doing this. And then what, she, what, she was, what would she say? Sit up. Sit up straight. Ethan, have some good posture. Sit up straight. Pay attention to your posture. Um, guys, I want to talk to us tonight about our spiritual posture. And when we think of the posture by which we come before God, what, what first comes to mind, right? God, you, me, approaching the throne of grace. 
What's, what, what's the posture that comes to mind? On our face. That's absolutely right. On our knees. And Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul's praying. And he, and he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the entire you know, kingdom, all believers, heaven and earth, derives its names. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through his spirit, dwelling in your inner being. All right. For this reason I come before the Father, and I kneel, and I kneel. But friends, if we're to search the New Testament for examples of where there are, there's a prayer, and the author of the prayer, such as Paul there, writing out that prayer, dictating that prayer that we have in Ephesians, and they describe their posture in that time as kneeling, how many examples of that do we find? One, and I just told it to you. Now, there's other times where we see people on their knees. One of my favorite examples is the Apostle Paul. Now, in Acts 27, is it 26, Acts 26, um, starting around verse 14, we find Paul much later on in his ministry, and he is describing the story of his conversion to a fellow by the name of, by the name of King Agrippa and Agrippa's sidekick by the name of Festus. Right? Is that a character on the Adams family? Anyway, um, Agrippa and Festus, and Paul's telling the story. Right, he's going along the road to Damascus, and what happened? Right, a blazing light appeared, Scripture says. It says that Paul went to his knees. He fell to his knees. And I'm picking up here. I think you guys, if you don't have the pieces of paper with the Scripture we're going to look at tonight, they're in the back of the room. Paul describes, they're on the back table right there. Anyways, Paul says, Agrippa, King Agrippa, we all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And if you don't know what that means, go look it up. All right. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? And the response was, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You guys, don't miss this. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up. Now get up and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. Guys, I love that story because it is a picture of God's call upon our life. Right? When we come before God, I think if we have any, any sense of who God is, any biblical picture of the glory and the sovereignty of God, our, our instinct would be to go to our knees, and rightly so. But friends, throughout Scripture... And what I want us to see tonight is the predominant posture that God calls us to, especially as men, is to stand, is to stand firm because of the confidence and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus says to Paul, Paul, get up, stand on your feet. I have a job for you to do. And if you go on and read through the rest of that passage, um, Jesus essentially says to Paul, I have a job for you to do. And guess what? It's going to be me doing it through you. It's not in your strength. It's my strength. It's my plan. It's my purpose. But you're going to be the one. So stand up. A, a little thing that Paul doesn't mention in this part of the story to Agrippa, but I think it's interesting to remember. So when Jesus says, Paul, stand up, get on your feet. What was it about Paul that had just happened? He was blind. So here's Paul, helpless, helpless. And Jesus says, get up, stand on your feet, for I have a purpose for you. <coughs> a little later on, um, Paul is now a more aged apostle, and he's writing a letter to the church in a city called Colossae. And of course, we have this as Colossians. 
And in Colossians, where is it? In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, I think that passage is on your piece of paper, Paul tells us about a little-known prayer warrior that we see in the New Testament. And depending on how you want to pronounce his name, it's um, Epaphras, Epaphras, I say Epaphras. Anyway, I don't know if we really know how to pronounce it. But um, Epaphras is this guy that Paul describes as one of you. So if we just look around the room, right, Epaphras could have been any one of us. So what's unique about Epaphras, and when I meet him in heaven one day, I want to go up and just, you know, lay eyes on this guy, that some 2,000 years later, his name is recorded twice, I believe. But Epaphras is praying for the church, and this is how he is described. Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends his greetings. For he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God mature and fully assured, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Amen. There are times when God brings us to our knees, and we need to go there. Maybe we're broken, or maybe it's a spiritual healing, maybe it's just worship that God's doing in our life. But whenever we are on our knees, there's a thing that we can be sure of. It's that God is working for us to be able to stand up to stand up and to stand firm because he has a purpose and he is our life. So let's talk about maybe what this means today, right? The biblical truth, right? Powerful scripture. How do we apply this? How do we think of this? And Epaphras, really Paul recording Epaphras' prayer gives us three big things to think about. First, he says he's praying that we would stand firm in all the will of God. Right, huge topic, the will of God. Right? What's the will of God in our lives? Well, sometimes we'll pray for God's will in terms of, God, is it your will that I go to this city or this city? Or that I take this job or this job, this detail or this detail? And it's good to look to God for those things, to pray for those things. And sometimes God gives us definitive, clear answers in those type of details of life. Sometimes, at least in my experience, he doesn't. But there's a thing Scripture tells us that God always promises is his will for our lives. That wherever we go, whatever career, whatever job, whatever project, that whatever we do, you know, we're doing it, right, to the best of our ability, serving as to the Lord, not men. But we are being led and being expressive of the Spirit, right? That the fruit of the Spirit is alive and active and being expressed in our lives. You know, a person would come to me and say, Ethan, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling with these things. You know, do I, do I go, you know, should I stay or should I go? I'm like, well, whether you stay or, sh- or you go, I can tell you it's God's will that you do so with a sense of gratitude and with kindness and with integrity right? and with courage and with generosity and with the work and the expression of the love of God in your life. All the will of God. Right? Something to think about. Stand firm in all the will of God in our life. And Paul goes on and he says also that we are mature. Now, what is the greatest mark of Christian maturity in our life? Right? I can tell you something that's not. It's not knowledge. Knowledge is important. Knowledge is a gift. We have greater access to Scripture and God's Word today and resources, amazing resources surrounding God's Word than at any time in human history. That's wonderful. But knowledge isn't the greatest marker of maturity as Christian men. It's obedience because of our knowledge. Wherever we are in our walk, it's obedience. Um, If you love me, you will obey what I command, Jesus said. And my commandment is this, what did Jesus go on to say? That you love one another. Right? If you were to ask, what is the greatest marker of maturity in the life of a brother? Right? 
It's how we are being obedient to Christ and how we express his love to us, through us, to those around us. Starting at that closest circle and moving out. Lots you could talk about there. That we would be mature in our faith. And then Paul goes on and says that Epaphras is praying that we would be fully assured. That's something to think about. That we'd be fully assured. What comes to mind when you think of that? Um, That we are confident of our faith. Right? Assured of our hope in Christ. Right? That we know that he is present to us. Right? That God is good and his goodness is, is with us. Assured that we are forgiven. Assured that we are made new. Right? Assured that Christ is in us, that our life matters. Assured that your, king, that your life has kingdom purpose. Uh, there's an old hymn. You've probably done it sometimes. You know, blessed assurance. Yeah. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Can just go on through that hymn. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Blessed assurance. Friends, when we are growing in our assurance of who we are in Christ and his presence with us, that opens the door, right? It opens the door into peace, into rest, into freedom, and friends, into the courage to stand firm in our faith. Um, now, I was thinking about this, this idea of standing firm. There's two images that came to mind, two different places that I've lived. And the first is the place I moved right after I graduated from A&M, moved to South Carolina, I lived in Charleston. And um, I got there about not quite two months before Hurricane Hugo hit in 1989. Right? After Hugo, I moved into an old carriage house down in the peninsula of Charleston, if you've ever been there, the old antebellum district, it was really, really cool. And I was blocks from the seawall, right? Now, this ancient old carriage house I moved into took, took a lot of wind damage, but it had no flooding damage, even though right, the storm had hit right there, Hugo had hit right there. It didn't have any flooding damage because of the seawall. When I think of standing firm, it's that image of that seawall, right? A breaker against the storm, against the onslaught of what is coming. Because there are times when God calls us to stand firm. It's to stand firm against the onslaught of our culture, right? Against our values as brothers in Christ. I think of Kelly, right? Standing firm, right? Against the onslaught against religious liberty in our country. And there are times that God calls us to do that, sometimes in very specific ways. But there's another image that comes to mind. Of, and this is from the place I grew up, in a little town called Blanco, Texas, outside of San Antonio, about halfway between San Antonio. And you, you have to say San Antonio still to be a legitimate Texan. Anyway, about halfway between San Antonio and Austin. And, uh, and on this, grew up incredibly blessed on a 150-acre ranch, six miles outside of, you know, you were already in the sticks in Blanco. I was six miles outside of Blanco. And we had these little oak trees, little scrub oaks. And every now and then you'd have a bigger oak tree. We had a big oak tree next to our house, big enough that my dad put a tree house for me in it. And when I would think of oak trees... I would, to this day, think of something that is permanent, rooted, strong, right? that it would stand. And of course, God gave young boys oak trees for one reason, <laughs> and that's to climb them, right? to get in them, to hang on to them, to make them your home, right? to be just, I, I lived in, in, that, in that tree. Because here's where I'm going with this. As Christian men, Think about the different roles that we have in our lives. We're sons, we're fathers, 
We're grandfathers. We're leaders in our work. We have positions of influence. And friends, we stand firm in our faith when we are standing in these God-given roles where our faith is authentic and vibrant, even if we're young in our faith, even if we're struggling with things. Right There is strength there because of our trust in God so that those around us that look to us see the vitality and the authenticity and the goodness and the power of who Christ is in us, in our faith, even maybe especially when we are going through times of great struggle. I think of my own father. His name is Kenny. Um, Daddy's going to turn 80 here in about two months. Um, in July, that's more than two months, anyway. Because uh, I can think of so many times that I have clung to my father, right, like a person in a storm. Right? He, he's not perfect, but many times in my life, I mean, he has been the person that God has used to hold me together, that I have looked to and held to, and that God has worked in my life because how I saw my father stand firm in his faith, sometimes in not very easy circumstances and times in our life as a family. Guys, the same is true of us. God calls us to be people, calls us to be men. Because of how we stand firm in our faith, God uses us to our spouses, our wives, and the lives of our families, our children, our grandchildren, our work, in ways that we may never know this side of eternity if we even know them. But God does. And he calls us to be men who stand firm in our love, our kindness, our integrity, and our faith. Um, I just want to touch real quick here on a few other ways we see this in Scripture. And I have just a couple of stories that hopefully will maybe bring this open a little bit more for us. But just look, we see this throughout the New Testament. One example is in Galatians 5.1, where Paul said, It is freedom for Christ to set us free. You guys know this verse? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm. And do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Right? Christ has set us free. Don't become a slave again to that which you've already been set free from. Right? Paul here is talking about legalism. We're, we have freedom in Christ. Don't, don't fall prey again to you know, shallow faith, legalism, performance-based acceptance before God. Right? Stand firm. Don't be burdened by that from which Christ has set you free. There might be a man here tonight that you are struggling with something that you know Christ has set you free from because sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, you're under grace, but you're struggling with it. And God says, stand firm. Don't be captive. Again, another passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is great. Um, Paul says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The thing I love about that passage is Paul here connects really inseparably the idea of standing firm in our faith and being involved laboring right in the kingdom, being involved as servants in the work that God is doing. And he tells us, stand firm, your labor is not in vain. Guys, some of you here might be struggling with the, I, I, I guarantee you, if you're a pastor, you have, for Craig and I, you know, sometimes in dynamics such this, like, God, God, is it worth it? Is all of this labor in vain? No, it's not. Stand firm in your faith, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain.
Another passage, this is in the Old Testament. I love this. This is um, actually another one out of 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. I'll just touch on it. Um, Here Paul says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Right? Let's take these verses home. Think about them. How is God using this in your life to stand firm in the ways that we see here? Um, Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8. This one I just got to camp on a little bit. Psalm 27 and 8. Way, way back. And the writer says, I bet some of you men have memorized this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and we stand firm. All right. So, of course, the question there is, what's your chariot and what's your horse? Right? What are these things, these unworthy things that we attach ourselves to and put our trust in? Here's a story i got to tell you. This um, Back in September, um, I was privileged to take um, for the fifth time, I think, fifth trip, uh, deep backcountry um, black powder, right, muzzle-low black powder elk hunt trip um, with several of my friends, some of, the, some of the men in my church, and my father. Right, uh, went, on, went on the trip again. We're about six miles deep up above Piney Lake. If you've ever been up Red, Red Sandstone Road above Vail, up above Piney Lake, go park there, go six miles deeper in, base camping around 10,500 feet, actually hunting around 11,000, 11,500 feet um, during, during the hunt. And uh, it's about the middle we were in for a week. It's probably the third or fourth day. We had horses, got to have horses on that, that type of trip. And we're sitting around the campfire at the glory of any hunt trip, especially our hunt trips where we shoot zero animals. Um, and we're sitting around the campfire, um, just a great evening. We have a high line, if you know anything about horses, um, we have a high line set up that we put between two trees. The horses are there on the high line. And it's getting time to go to bed after 10 o'clock. Starry night, full moon, which is horrible for hunting. But, um, all right, we're going to go to bed. Fire's getting low. So my dad says, I'm going to check the horses. So he walks off over to the horses. We're cleaning stuff up. And all of a sudden, life just goes into slow motion. My friend Mitch yells out, Kenny's down! Kenny's down! We all drop what we're doing, start heading towards where my dad had walked to the horses. And right as I'm looking and heading that way, you hear this pow! Like this exploding sound. It was the sound of the roots in the tree that the high line was attached to literally exploding and severing. Because what had happened, my dad went up to this one horse. Its name was Squirrely. I had another name for it, but I can't say it. Um... And Squirrely would walk in circles on that lead rope and get himself all bunched up right on the high line. So my dad was trying to untangle him, and Squirrely spooked. And he rears up full and sits down his full weight on that high line and pulls that 50-foot dead tree out of the ground, popping its roots. It comes out. And right as we start looking over to where my father is, Think of there's here's squirrely tap dancing. Here's my dad. And if you've ever seen one of these dead conifer trees, all the old branches going up are broken off. There's just the, the pieces and there's spikes, right, coming out of that tree. And that tree falls right between my father and that stupid horse. If that tree had fallen one foot more to the left, it would have killed my father. There's no question. Right? He falls back. The horse rolls over, gets out of the way, and we all run up there. And about two hours of cleanup, a new high line ensued. 
The next morning, I'm sitting talking to my dad. And by the way, to this day, my mother has not heard this story. <laughs> um, and we're like, man, there's got to be a sermon illustration in that. And there is. And this is it. Never put your hope, never attach your trust to dead things. To dead things. That tree looked really strong. It wasn't. It was unworthy of the trust that we put in it, hooking that line with five horses to that tree. What are the dead things that we're tempted to put our trust and to put our hope in? Sometimes they're good things, right? They're just not our life. Right? That mountain, your ability to ski, that's, that's great. It's not our life, right? Our jobs, our careers, our money, our cars, whatever. Right? I'm a bit of a firearms shooting enthusiast. I love, love it. It's a lot of fun. Right, it's a good hobby. It's not my life. It's not my life. Stand firm and don't put our trust in hope and chariots and horses and things that are dead and unworthy. Just moving on here real quick and we'll wrap it up. Romans 5, 1, 2. I'll just read this. This is something to go look at later. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Man, I love Romans. That's one of my favorite passages right there. We stand in the grace of God. Amen? Right? Um, and then Ephesians 6. This is one you've all heard. This is the famous armor of God passage. You might not have noticed that right in the middle of this description of the armor of God right, that we put on is a call to stand. I'm actually just going to read this straight out of my Bible. And this is what we see. Paul writes again, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may and catch the repetition here, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. So stand firm. Right? And then he goes on and describes the armor of God. In verse 18, he kind of wraps that thought up by saying, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. For all the Lord's people. Um, Guys, what does it look like for us to stand? You know, we stand when we speak the truth in love. Right? We stand when we choose truth over temptation. Right? We stand when we resist the lies of the enemy, when we rise above fear. Right? We stand when we say yes to God because we trust him. Right? We stand when we serve, when we love others. Right? We stand when we raise up our children or other people's children in the way of the Lord. I wasn't here last night. I was next door with a handful of high-energy um, Hispanic high school kids whose families don't come to our church. But through actually a long story of God's work, we have a ministry into the lives of those kids. They are a handful, but we love them, right? God's entrusted them to us. We're part of standing firm, being that tree in which they climb in our faith. Right? We stand when we live with integrity, courage, generosity. Right? All the different ways that God, that God works in our lives 
And friends, like Epaphras, we stand when we pray for each other. When we pray for each other to stand firm in our faith. I want to end with this one last story. This is another hunting story. Same base camp, right? Same mountains. Eight years earlier. My son Caleb's a sophomore in high school. I pull him out of school for a week. Black powder is always about the second or third week of September. And he's on this, this trip with us. Uh, my buddy Chad, his brother Brad, actually, lo and behold, shoots an elk. All right? And it's in an area on the backside of a mountain called Pretty Mountain up there. Deep, dark timber, steep, north-facing slope. About quarter mile from the closest we can get the horses. Right? So we dressed it all out, hung it, went back for the night. We all loaded up, got the horses. The next morning, we went out there to, to get the elk. Got to it. Got frame packs. Caleb's a stout kid, big stout kid. And, um, and he said, I'm going to take a hind quarter. I'm like, Caleb, that's heavy. That's heavy. Like, that's all right. I've got a front quarter, you know, maybe with the bag of giblets on it. He shoulders that sucker, and we start making our way up that hill. Right? It's jungle. It's the word we use for it. Just climbing over trees, steep, quarter mile, there's the horse, horses. We get about halfway. I'm hurting already. Caleb really starts to labor. I'm behind him, walking up the hill. We get about probably 100 yards away from where the horses is. And I can hear him crying with each step because it's just working so hard. We get to a little clearing, and he stops. And I say, hey, Kay, <laughs> man, you, you can stop. You've, it's been awesome. You, you can take that off. He's like, all right. And he starts to unshoulder it, and he gets it to about right here. And he stops. And he puts it back on his shoulder. And he goes the hundred yards to the horse. I'm bawling, right? It's like this John Eldridge moment that I'm living, right, with my kid. We get to the horses. I've got, I was going to bring the picture. I couldn't find the little photo book. He, I mean, he's a mess. He's just crying. He's in pain. But he takes that load to the horse. Right. There's one way that this is a bad analogy, because there are times we need to let go of our burden, <laughs> right? What we're trying so hard to carry. But I want you to think of that moment when my kid decided that he had something in him that he didn't know he had before, and he reshouldered that pack. That instance, what do we see in that? Because sometimes that instance is when a group of men comes alongside a man who's about to give up. And we surround them and we pray for them because we're part of a community of faith and we're able to see that and God works in us in that way. Right? Sometimes, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with a kid. But you want to quit. You want to give up. But the Spirit moves and you just listen. And you say, God, I'll take the next step and the next step and I'll keep my eyes on you. Sometimes the way that we stand is by letting go and surrendering to God and saying, Lord, I'm going to let you do what only you can do. I'm tired. I can't do this on my own anymore. And I'm going to hitch myself to you because you said, come to me if you're weak and weary. Right? Take my burden upon you and cast your cares upon me right? because my burden is easy. Right? My load is light. I'm heavy paraphrase. And we surrender to Christ in that time. There's another way. 
And this might be um, part of this gentleman we're about to call that I don't have the privilege of knowing. One of the reasons I know that Caleb made it that last hundred yards is he knew that a hundred yards away there was a horse. He had an assurance of what lie ahead, what lay ahead. And that gave him the strength and the courage to keep going. Right? That this life is not all there is. But while we are here, God calls us in Christ to stand firm, mature, in all the will of the Lord, and fully assured. I want us to do something um, before I sit down and we, we, we make that phone call. I want, I want us all to stand up. And you might need to get a little space in front of your chair, all right? Because I, I don't know, I know a couple of you guys pretty good. Most of y'all, I, I don't know, you don't know me, all right? Um, but we do know each other because we're all Christian men. We know the, the roads we walk. We know the burdens we carry. Maybe the burden our sons and daughters are carrying that we're carrying too. Right? Something about this is speaking to you. A way that God wants to work in your life for you to stand firm where you are in your journey. And there's the first step of that, and that's the step that we saw in Paul. And we see in Paul years later when he writes, for this reason I kneel before the Father. So don't be weirded out if this is a pushing a little bit on you. I want us all to kneel down, if you can. Make room in front of your chairs. All right? And as we do this, I'm going to pray. And in just a minute, I want you to listen to me. We're going to stand up. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this amazing group of men, this ministry for all these years. Some, I've just heard Randy and so many other men say, Lord, this is your ministry. You did it. You're the one that, you're the, you originated it, you're the author of it, and you're going to be the completer of it. Lord, you know where we are, especially if there's any of us here that really are broken. And Lord, in our hearts, we are on our knees. And we don't know how we're taking that next step. Lord, I thank you for your word, where you tell us that you accept us wherever we are. You ask us to cast our cares upon you. But Lord, where we are in that moment, Lord, I pray that we would know that while you are here with us, you're not going to leave us here. And you are going to lead us to stand. Guys, take the arm of a brother next to you if you can, and let's stand together. All right, I want you to grab the hand, right, or the shoulder of a brother yeah. next to you. Guys, a miracle of the New Testament, this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? we all have our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but we are not created to do this by ourselves. We're created to walk this journey together for the whole reason you're here, so that as we pray for each other, that we pray like Epaphras did, mm -hmm. that we may stand firm in the faith yes. and all the will of God, right. mature and fully assured. <laughs> All right. Amen. Amen. Jesus amen. Name, amen. amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah.